What did Jesus mean in Matthew in chapter 6 and verse 20 when he says, lay up treasure in heaven? What does that mean? He seems to be saying that it is possible to have more rather than less in heaven. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, we're going to spend some time today looking at that passage in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm not sure if there's anyone who would say, no, I don't want to have a lot of treasure in heaven. But there may be some who might say, I want to have a lot of treasure here. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous phrase, lay up? For yourselves treasure in heaven that has to convey that it is possible to have more there and less here or more here and less there it has to convey that and uh, that scripture fits in with uh, where we are in the last beatitude today we've come to the end of our series on the beatitudes and jesus speaks about the outcome of pursuing a godly life which is a that we're going to be blessed by god and b that we're going to be in trouble persecuted by the world. And yet these two things will come together. There's going to be pressure on every Christian, and yet there's going to be blessing for every Christian. And uh, that blessing is known both now and also in the future. And uh, to store up for what will yet be is a marvelous thing to do when you're under pressure in the Christian life. We're going to look at this further in Matthew chapter 5, so I hope you'll open your Bible there as we go to verses 10 through 12. Here is Pastor Colin. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we looked this morning at the pattern of persecution, that this is the normal experience of a Christian life. Our Lord Jesus said, if they persecuted me, and they certainly did, they will persecute you also. If the world hates you, keep in mind, Jesus says, that it hated me first. Then we saw that persecution takes two forms. There is the persecution of the hand. I'm still trying to take in this statistic that's settling for me. One person laying down their life every five minutes. This is astonishing, isn't it? For the sake of Christ, somewhere in the world. And that's been going on all day today persecution of the hand, and then persecution of the tongue. And we, we saw that even in this, uh, the Lord Jesus has a sanctifying work that goes on, that, that persecution is actually sanctifying for the church. It may shrink the church before it increases it, but it purifies and distills spiritual life. It raises the spiritual temperature. And we saw that comfort indeed does tend to make us very soft, but trouble tends to make us strong. And then we just began to look at the outcome, uh, two outcomes that Jesus speaks of. Uh, first, this whole matter of blessing, and then this um, wonderful, wonderful gift of reward. 
And we ended just looking at that picture of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, these three people in this terrible persecution thrown into the fire, and then the king sees a fourth one walking with them, fellowship with Christ, the Son of God, there in the furnace. So, I'm trying to press home that this really is a reality of Christian experience. It's repeated again and again, past and present, from real testimony, that the promise of Jesus, of course, is true, that where there is persecution, there is blessing that comes, and there is a Spirit of God and of glory, as Peter puts it in 1 Peter in chapter 4, that descends on a person in this situation. And I'm wanting to say to high school students, when someone ridicules you, verse 11, when someone mocks you, you look expectantly, you will know the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can count on the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not leave you, and He will not forsake you. Now, notice that our Lord here speaks not only about great blessing, but also great reward. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Now, the emphasis seems to be that the reward in heaven is somehow increased on account of the suffering. That seems to be the point of this. And therefore, this verse goes alongside a, a number of other verses that I want just to commend to you for your thinking. For example, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42. Do you remember that Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, what does that mean? If there is a reward for this act of giving a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, it must mean that there is something gained for doing that that would not have been gained if that act were not done. It has to mean that. Then remember that Jesus told the parable in Luke in chapter 19 about um, servants who are trusted with responsibility, and according to their stewardship of the responsibility, when the master comes back, he gives to one authority over ten cities, and to another he gives authority over five cities. Now, this is a parable, but the question, of course, is what is the parable teaching? And it seems, indeed, to be teaching that rewards are graciously offered by God to His redeemed people, and that these rewards are different, not in kind, but in degree. Ten cities, five cities. What does this mean, then? It raises the question, do some have a greater reward in heaven? Think with me about some more Scriptures. I'm going to give you a number because it's cumulative when you begin to think about it. What did Jesus mean in Matthew in chapter 6 and verse 20 when He says, lay up treasure in heaven? What does that mean? Does it make a difference? He seems to be saying that it is possible to have more rather than less in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, I could choose to have more here and less there, or I could choose to have less here 
and more there. I could lay up treasures in heaven. Either way, whether it be more uh, here and less there, or less here and more there, either way, what Jesus seems very clearly to be saying is that what I do here makes a difference to what I have there. It's very plain from the words of Jesus. And this eighth beatitude fits right into this very important and significant strain of Scripture. Rejoice and be glad for your reward, your suffering persecution, but here's why you as the suffering person can be happy, because your reward in heaven will be great, and there is a correspondence between this reward and the endurance of the suffering on the part of a faithful person. Something will be yours on account of the suffering, Jesus seems to be saying, that would not have been yours otherwise. Now, I was greatly helped a number of years ago now to discover in Jonathan Edwards, hope you know that name, the greatest, I think, American theologian and writer um, of all time, Christian writer of all time, Edwards speaks about this more clearly than anyone else I have ever read, and I'll give you what he says here, and says quite clear that the Scriptures indicate that there are degrees of reward in heaven. Listen to how Edwards puts it. It is beautifully expressed. He says, quote, there are different degrees of happiness and of glory in heaven. The glory of the saints above will be in some proportion to their eminence in holiness and good works here. Christ will reward all according to their works. We're talking about believers here. He then cites the authority over ten cities and the authority over five cities and the cup of cold water scriptures that we've already referred to. And he says, quote, Christ tells us that he who gives a cup of cold water to a disciple shall in no way lose his reward. But this could not be true if a person should have no greater reward for doing many great work, good works than if he did but few. He then adds more scriptures. Consider this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 41, as one star differs from another star in glory, so also it will be in the resurrection of the dead. And then this, Edwards, quote, all shall be perfectly happy. Everyone shall be perfectly satisfied. Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels far larger than others. So, you see what he's saying? Think of all of us as little pots, okay? All a little pot. And in heaven, every pot will be cast into the sea of happiness, and every pot will be full. So there'll be no one who's kind of pouting in heaven that, 
you know. But he says, not all the vessels, not all the pots are of the same size. I have found that to be a profoundly, profoundly helpful picture. So, to be clear, Edwards is not suggesting that we earn rewards in heaven like you pick up air miles on a credit card. He's not saying that. Anything that is received is given by God's freedom and kindness, and even the best works of a suffering Christian are shot through with our own fallenness and are only of eternal value because they are sanctified in Jesus Christ. But the Scriptures give to us this wonderful encouragement that we need to hold on to, especially in the most difficult times. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Or to take another Scripture that uses the same argument at the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 17. Remember, Paul puts it this way. He says, our light and momentary afflictions… I don't know how he managed to describe his suffering as light and momentary, but that's how he described his suffering. He says, our light and momentary afflictions, they're doing what? They're preparing for us, working for us, an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So, this is not simply something to be endured. Something is coming of this that is greater than what would have come without it. That's the argument. That's the point. Rejoice and be glad when it's really tough for you in high school, because great is your reward in heaven. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called What to Do When You're Not Being Persecuted. It's part of the series Momentum how to make progress in the Christian life. Now this month, the team have some exciting news to share with you. They've been making a number of changes to Open the Bible website, including making it simpler for you to show your support for the ministry. And when you do that, they're pleased to offer you a free copy of Pastor Colin's new book, Six Hours That Changed the World. In this book, Pastor Colin helps us consider the seven times that Jesus spoke from the cross, showing us what he did on the cross was a demonstration of his love for us. And you can receive a free copy when you go to the website and set up a regular donation of at least £5 a month. Learn more when you go to openthebible.org.uk. That's openthebible.org.uk. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Pastor Colin. The Scriptures give to us this wonderful encouragement that we need to hold on to, especially in the most difficult times. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. Now, that takes us to this very important question especially in the culture in which we live. And the question is, okay, it's great blessing is tied to this um, persecution. What then if I am not being persecuted? The reward of those who are insulted, those who are persecuted, uh, reviled, is great. Where does that leave us who are so blessed with the gifts of freedom and the privileges that we enjoy. I mean, I'm thinking about this. Think about how extraordinary this is. There are brothers who are preachers of the gospel, fellow pastors, 
And when they stand and speak, if a policeman shows up, he's there to arrest them and probably other members of the church board. I get to stand here on a pulpit, and there's a policeman out there, and he's, why is he here? He's here to protect me, and he's here to protect you. Unbelievable blessing. Amazing. And for all the changes that are happening that we spoke about this morning, it remains the fact that we are blessed in an unprecedented way in this country that most believers in history could only have dreamed about. And so, how are we to think about that? How are we to relate with our small stories of difficulty relative to the suffering that is going on right now in other parts of the world? What to do when you're not persecuted? Let me offer to you five answers. Number one, be thankful for the blessings of peace and freedom. Remember this, friends, we are not to wish for persecution. We're not to seek it. We're to be thankful for the gift of freedom, and we are to do all in our power to protect it. Paul says to Timothy, he urges that there should be prayer made for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. A peaceful and quiet life is an end for which we should pray and a gift for which we should be thankful. So, um, in planning this series, I said this morning, uh, there is not a sermon to be preached on cultivating persecution. We're not to go out looking for it. We're not to make ourselves obnoxious in order to attract it. The Bible speaks in the opposite direction in every way. Inasmuch as we have peace, inasmuch as we have freedom, it is a cherished gift from God, and we are to be thankful, so very thankful for it. And you thankful for it? Very thankful for it. Just thinking about that, the policeman thing really got to me this week. I thought it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Number two, remember those who are persecuted. This is a clear command of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. That's a strong statement. And those who are mistreated since you are in also in the body. And, of course, this comes out of the book of Hebrews, where you have the role of honor of suffering heroes throughout the Old Testament. And uh, the Christians, the Hebrew Christians who had, were receiving this letter, it says in the letter that their goods had been confiscated. So, authorities come and knocking on the door, taking stuff out the house, and livelihoods gone. So, when Paul says, don't stop meeting together, he's not referring to the fact that a lot of families have kids in sports programs on Sunday morning, right? He's referring to the fact that having had stuff confiscated and knowing that there was hostility towards the church, it's very understandable that there were believers saying, you think the police will show up this week? Maybe we'll just not go to church this week. We'll go next week. <laughs> and you can understand that. We'd go through all of our minds, wouldn't it? And therefore, the writer to the Hebrews says, well, don't stop meeting together. 
as some are in the habit of doing. And, and then you see some in the congregation in this circumstance were already in prison. You try and picture this. So here's the pastor and a couple of board members, and uh, they're all taken off to Cook County Jail. And on the next Sunday, the congregation prays fervently for them. And then a month goes past, and a year goes past, and after a year, it's bless the pastor and the board members in prison, dear Lord, amen, and life goes on, and you know how it is. Um, suffering believers get forgotten. And Paul says, don't let that happen. Whatever you do, remember those who are in prison and those who are in mis mistreated. You're members of the same body. Try and think of their position as if you were in prison with them and remember them in that degree. At the Arlington Heights campus here, we have a ministry called Christian Advocacy. And it's a group that meets every month in this building to write letters to persecuted believers. They get lists of names and addresses and write to them, bringing exhortation, writing scripture, encouragement, personal letters, and then write advocacy letters on behalf of those who are being mistreated and those who are imprisoned on account of their faith. Commend that ministry to you. I'd like to join that. What are we to do when we're not persecuted? Be thankful for the blessings of peace and freedom. Remember those who are persecuted. Number three, make sure that you really are doing what is right. See, Jesus says here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, you see, if there is not much persecution, at least a question that is worth asking is, is, could a reason for that be that there's not much righteousness? Jesus speaks later about hiding your light under a basket. Okay, here's this light of Christ in a person, but now it's being covered up so that nobody can see it. And he says this, you are a light, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people hide a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and then it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If nobody knows in your school that you're a Christian, if nobody knows in your workplace that you're a Christian, then you will avoid a great deal of trouble. But at what cost? You're not doing what's right. That's why you're avoiding the trouble. And we can always reduce pain by withdrawing from the world. But Jesus says we must let our light shine. Some of you may remember, this is, uh, oh, that uh, must be 25 years ago, Rebecca Manley Pippert. Do you know that name? In fact, she lives in the greater Chicago area. Wrote a m book with a marvelous title. It's a great book. It's called Out of the Salt Shaker. That's a great title. And you see, she was picking up on Jesus says, well, you're salt and you're light. And what you, she says, is the, the salt, if it's all in the salt shaker, you've got to get it out the salt shaker and into the meat. And uh, if Christians simply remain sharing their lives huddled together, then um, they may manage to avoid a great deal of pain, but then they also end up avoiding a great deal of influence. So the, the challenge for all of us is living an authentic Christian life before an unbelieving and sometimes hostile world. 
That is certainly a challenge and a great challenge for us to take an honest look at today. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called What to Do When You're Not Being Persecuted. This is the last message in the series Momentum, How to Make Progress in the Christian Life. It's a study of the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5 and if you missed any of the messages in the series you can always go back and listen online at the website openthebible.org.uk This program is a listener-supported broadcast and Open the Bible is able to come to you each day because of your generosity and this month they have something new and exciting to offer. They're making a number of changes to the website, including making it easier to give. You can visit the website at openthebible.org.uk and as a token of their appreciation for your financial support, they have a special gift for you. Pastor Colin's latest book, Six Hours That Changed the World. And Colin, who is this book written for? Well, the book is all about what happened during the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross. Jesus spoke seven times during these six hours, and each time we learn more about what Jesus was doing while he was there. I mean, he was praying, he was opening up heaven, he was carrying our sins, and most of all, he was pouring out his great and everlasting love for each one of us. Now, I think Christians are well aware of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that was poured out for us on the cross. But you will know someone who does not yet grasp the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for them. So this gift book is especially for him or for her. And if you're looking for a clear, biblical and compelling presentation of the gospel to give to someone in your life this Easter, I hope you'll get hold of a copy of Six Hours That Changed the World and give that to him or to her. Well, they're excited to be able to offer you Pastor Colin's latest book, Six Hours That Changed the World, in appreciation for your support. For setting up your regular donation of at least £5 a month, they're happy to send you a free copy of the book as a special thank you gift. Learn more when you go to the website openthebible.org.uk. Again, that's openthebible.org.uk. What then if I am not being persecuted? The reward of those who are insulted, those who are persecuted, reviled is great. Where does that leave us who are so blessed with the gifts of freedom and the privileges that we enjoy? Find out when you join Pastor Colin next time. This program is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible 